Hello and welcome to Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Games, games, games. 2012 was a year full of great titles and some surprising game industry trends. Our guests on the show shared many of their favorite games, and Rhonda and I have shared our favorites and some slight obsessions that we've had. Yep. But we started to wonder if our favorites made anyone else's list of best games of the year. So Wired has a great article about how the passion of smaller game houses made a huge impression on the game industry and many gamers' pocketbooks this year. So thankfully, joining Rhonda and I to talk about Wired's list and our favorites that didn't make the list is one of the new contributing writers for Game on Girl, Mark Scholl. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hello. Again, welcome back. I should say welcome back to the show. Yeah. Yes, third time's a charm. Yeah. I got my hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you got some uh, Game on Girl chops going on here. <laughs> Indeed. So I know uh, there were lots of great games that I had heard of and lots of great games I hadn't heard of, or games at least I hadn't heard of, on Wired's list. Um, some that I can't play that are actually just on the PlayStation. But um, yeah. I thought that we would start talking about the one I knew that all three of us had played. That being Borderlands 2? That would be Borderlands 2, yes, yes. Are you still boycotting it, Mark? No, I wasn't boycotting Borderlands 2 at all. Oh, who was doing that? I don't know, but they're they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I Oh, oh, um, I think it was one of the Nerdgasm guys. Yeah, it was LJ. It was Lunch Journals. He said that he had, um, I think he, what, was it Game Overload or he was waiting for something to drop that was never coming or something? Yeah, I think he was waiting for some orange drops or something that were getting more rare or something like that. But I really, I've heard that from a couple of people, but I really think that's a weak argument compared to Diablo 3. Oh. So I, I, I think that you really... Most people I've heard complaints about Borderlands 2 are enjoying the game so much that they are really struggling to find things to complain about. Yeah, I think that that's most of what I've heard as well um, in terms of the people who've really gotten into it and really enjoyed the story and kind of run with it. The thing that continues to bring me back, other than Mark's insistence that I <laughs> that I continue to play, so I've been so distracted over the last couple of months. Um, what I love about Borderlands is the humor and the the stories and and the characters and just everything. Sort of all the the big things. I think it hits right on. So yeah, did you you didn't play Borderlands one, did you, Regina? I- not play the original now. Well, uh, it is. It's really impressive to me how much of the the story and lore of the characters in the first uh, Borderlands that they brought over to Borderlands yeah. Two. Um, it's it's really cool to see all this backstory uh, um, coming up that you know explains who these characters that you saw in the first game, and you know going through into the second game and, it, and it, it's it feels natural it doesn't feel contrived at all Mm-mm. no that's that was a r- real fun part of borderlands 2 yeah Indeed. i didn't i didn't recognize i didn't know until uh, mark actually pointed it out to me when we were playing that the characters that we were interacting with were the characters you played in the original one like lilith and um oh god malachi mordecai mordecai, mordecai. Mm-hmm. mordecai. 
and um, some of the other character, the other two characters. And I didn't realize that those were the, those characters that you had been playing in the previous one. And I have to say, and I'll, I'll give a slight spoiler warning. I'm assuming most people have gotten at least through the you know the beginning parts of the game if they're they're listening to this. Um, when Lilith appears, and when you go on the rescue mission to, um, she's called the Firehawk, right? Right. Yeah, when she's called the Firehawk, and you go to rescue her, I love that. Might be one of my like all-time favorite character entrances ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Sup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she just like appears out of the sky and is like, "All right, here I am." <laughs> Well, and I mean, it, it, it's the same thing about the, the story. The characters have depth, they've got personality, and I think that they were able to introduce some of that with the first game, and they just seem to have a whole lot more fun with it in the second one and had a whole lot more freedom to put more in there. And you can just tell these guys love doing their job. Yeah, yeah. The the passion, as the Wired article points out, it's the passion of the indie houses that sort of carries these games forward. And it certainly comes through in Borderlands 2 where it's just so engaging and, and such well-written characters and plot lines that, you know, it would rival easily rival a novel of any kind of, or any kind of storytelling that you might engage in. And I have to point out, because this is Game on Girl and we do talk about gender, and we haven't talked a lot about gender in Borderlands 2 even though we've brought it up many, many times, you've got some powerful kick-ass characters, female characters. And yeah, I think we mentioned it a couple of times. I guess we well, we've touched on it, but we haven't touched on like a lot of them. Like we, we've sort of mentioned, you know, we have Lilith and you play Maya yeah. and, and that, but we, we yeah. haven't like really gone into like some of the the sideline characters, like Ellie. Ellie, yeah, Ellie's yeah. fantastic. Ellie's great. Um, her mom Moxie is fantastic, but my favorite is Tiny Tina. <laughs> <laughs> You either love her or you hate her. (laughs) Oh, she's awesome. Tiny Tina is by far like the coolest character they've ever put in that game. Distant second going to probably Scooter. Yeah, there there was some uh, complaints about Scooter in this one that he had changed too much. I don't feel that at all. Oh, okay, good. Was, well, the same the same person that said that said they hated Tiny uh, Tina, so they <laughs> they're losing all kinds of credibility. Uh, that cred just went out of the window. <laughs> yeah, I, I played Borderlands one up until about three or four months before Borderlands two came out, and um, I think I have a pretty good feel that if they yeah. had changed much about Scooter, that you would notice it. I think. There's a lot more characters in the second one that get a lot of screen time, so he's not as upfront and in your face as he was in the first one. And that might be, you know, where they're saying, "Oh, he's changed." It isn't that he's changed; it's just that he's not there as often. Yeah, yeah, but his his lines are just hysterical. Oh, they are. God, he's just he's a crack up. Everybody's a crack up. I just. Even even um, Handsome Jack gets some, like, really oh, yeah. zingy one-liners where you're like, oh, my God, what is this guy saying? And even the, the psychos and the midgets when they're running at you to attack you <laughs> are saying some of the craziest things. And I wish I would have written some of them down because I was trying to remember them today. And I'm like. Well, yeah. here's here's one for you. Will you marrow me? <laughs> they, they told me to pack a, 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 a pale lunch. You look pale. <laughs> Excellent. They are just fantastic. And and I wonder, you know, it is Borderlands 2. And like you said, it built well off Borderlands. I think it's evidence that 
Um, you know, they knew Borderlands, maybe they didn't know Borderlands originally was going to be as successful as it was, but, you know, they knew they had an audience for this one so they could sort of plunge even deeper into, into their humor and knowing that people and gamers appreciated the humor that they were. And I would, I would go to say that I think Borderlands 2 also has the best opening sequence. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, it is better than the first one, but not by much. But yeah, no, it's yeah. And the and the opening music for both Borderlands One and Two oh. are just great. Yeah. Well, now Borderlands Two falls dead in the middle of Wired's top ten list. Mm. Falls at number five. Yep. Now I I might take offense to that, except that I have not played any of the other nine games i've seen them and heard some about them but also i tend to believe that borderlands 2 is probably the most balanced game as far as all the aspects that that the different gamer types like in a game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the others are all really kind of different like number 10 i had never even heard of mm-hmm. um hotline miami yeah and i hadn't heard of that either yeah i know it's on steam i don't know if it's anywhere else and i went out and just watched a demo of it today um the first strike against it for me is that it's an 8-bit game i just i hate 8-bit games They've got this new trend, and they're all very popular and everything. But the the thing that's going for it, though, is it's not right-scrolling. It's got a very interesting protect, uh, perspective. It's a third-person perspective, and the character's uh, moving around in through different rooms. But it's just not that left-right movement. And it, it's very cute. And uh, considering the game's supposed to be set in 1984, I mean, the the graphics format is appropriate. Yeah, it fits it fits the time since it is actually a era piece or a historical piece or whatnot. It's supposed to be set back in time. Right. All right. What about Guild Wars Two? Well, wait a minute, number nine. Yeah, we both played Guild Wars. Oh, okay. Some of us more than others. Some some of us more than others. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there, Regina. You'll get there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I said. I said even. I think even in um, last. Our last episode, I said the same thing where I'm kind of on MMO burnout, but uh, Guild Wars, I thought, was really beautifully streamlined. Mark started playing it and started talking to me about it, and that was the reason why I sort of jumped on to to play it was at Mark's recommendation. But you've played much more than I have. Yeah. Um, I think the you hit it right on the head that uh, um, it's beautifully streamlined. They, they took... A lot, if not all, of the things that were really annoying in games like WoW and uh, um, uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic, either did away with them completely or um, gave them to you in a different way that was more palatable and wasn't such an annoyance. Right. Um, it's it's definitely a lot less grindy a game, in my opinion. It's really cool because. Um, one of the things that I've heard that they've stated and, and such was that they don't want it to be about a gear grind. They want it to be about how good you are at the end, um, how good you are at playing your character, not if you have an extra, you know, plus five points in, you know, some stat that makes you that good to, to be on a raid. You you really have to know how to play your character in this game because um, the gear only takes you so far in it. And, yeah. 
Well, that, I, I really like that. That was one of the things that the article actually pointed out too, that most of the MMOs that have come out post World of Warcraft have used the World of Warcraft engine and they're pretty much just mimicked what World of Warcraft does, which I, I can understand. Um, I was actually in a session at the first PAX that I went to, which would have been 2010, and it was a, you know, how to make your own game sort of panel. And the guy said, you know, make one innovative thing. If you're going to make an MMO, make one innovative thing and then steal everything else from everybody who's already done it. Hmm. And I was like, okay. I mean, I can kind of see where that's interesting, you know, uh, or, or would be time saving and, and might work because then it would be familiar enough so people can come into a game and play it, but, you know, might have this innovative thing. And I think that that's what, um, what Rift tried to do in terms of getting into the MMO market. Rift was trying to have these um, local events, much like the ones that happen in uh, Guild Wars. Uh, and then that's what was shaped in. And you didn't have to like pick up the, the quest or anything. You could just want to run up and participate in it. But because everything else was so similar to WoW, it, it didn't really, you know, get off the ground particularly well. Right. Well, and that's what Guild Wars does better and i think what that guy that you're talking about regina should have said was look at what the other games do and then do it better right <laughs> no, yeah. don't copy it. improve upon the structure that's already there and and the intuitive nature you might have for the gamers don't just mimic everything that somebody else is doing yeah yeah and that's what guild wars 2 does beautifully it's yeah. got a lot of familiar aspects to it but it, it it puts them in a way that's way more um Way easier to um, manage. To manage, yeah, to yeah. take. Yeah, you know? to interact with. Yep, definitely. So I'm hearing, it's interesting because I'm hearing a lot of things and the, the, the two games that are popping into my head are World of Warcraft and Diablo 3. Mm -hmm. Diablo 3 felt like a thud and World <laughs> of Warcraft is, is practically a, a pop culture jargon. I mean... Pretty much anybody has heard of World of Warcraft, even if they don't know anything about it. I mean, it's that huge. Right. But yeah. what what are the differences between World of Warcraft and Diablo 3? Because Diablo 3, I mean, that's the reason why so many people got the game and then just quit is because it was a grind. Right. What, what's the difference between that and WoW? I don't think that much anymore, to yeah. be honest. I think that at this point, all those people that are playing it are playing it because um, they're invested in it, you know, both time and monetarily wise. And, you know, probably also, um, like Sharon uh, mentioned on the Game on Girls site in her recent article, that people are really invested in their, those characters and, you know, can't bear the thought of leaving them. And the communities, I mean, she didn't say this specifically, but also the communities that are built in in the gaming like it's hard to leave a, an mmo because you're used to playing with the people you play that mmo with so was wow better in the beginning and it got worse um i i started playing wow about five five months after it came out and yeah. i would say it was better but only because it was new it to was a new. lot of okay. people yeah it, it, it what wow did in my in my opinion is it is it made that kind of massively multiplayer gaming uh, mainstream like like you said it's a, it's an okay. icon everybody knows even if you're not a gamer 
you've heard of there are commercials during the Super Bowl with, you know, celebrities mm-hmm. and their characters, you know, it has hit that kind of pinnacle in terms of reaching the masses to play a, mo- a massively multiplayer game, which is which is great. And it, and it really served its purpose in terms of right. opening that kind of gaming up. What in my ever so humble opinion <laughs> is the problem with WoW is they keep trying to beat into they they, they 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 kind of keep missing their mark in in how to make it a better game experience while still making money <laughs> yeah while still making money like and I can understand you know them wanting to make money so they make the expansions and you have to pay for the expansions and the new content yada yada my problem with with wow and you know the new expansion as we might note uh, Mr Pandaria was not on Wired's list of the best ten games of the year. Um, and I and I can't speak to having played it because I haven't played it. And I've seen some screenshots and it looks beautiful. And I've talked to people who th- say it's, you know, a great expansion. And it did a lot of what people had wanted Cataclysm to do and didn't do. And it gives, you know, nice new lush places to go. And that's great. But all I keep thinking about is, okay, you have one new, you know, character class and race that you can play. And you have a Pokemon game that you can play with your pets. Mm. And that's not enough to get me to go back into, you know, a world that I had gotten so tired of playing that I just dreaded any kind of interaction with it. So is Guild Wars the next gen of MMORPGs? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is to a degree. Um, I think... I think MMOs are kind of hitting the end of being the be-all, end-all, you know, with um, with WoW. I, I think they'll always be there. I think they'll always have a big following. I just don't think that uh, there's going to be an MMO, at least for a long time, that's going to be as big as WoW was. And going back to what it was that was good about WoW in the beginning, from what I understand, I didn't play MMOs um, prior to WoW, but I had a few friends who played um, EverQuest, and basically Ever or WoW did what Guild Wars has done now, which was WoW looked uh, what EverQuest was more streamlined and um, more enjoyable and kind of quicker, you know, mm-hmm. a process of playing. They, they improved upon what what um, EverQuest was doing. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things I remember um, hearing about from friends was is that you know they would go to wait for. A boat to take them over the the con the next uh, continent or whatever, and they'd have to wait for like ten minutes or fifteen minutes or something like that for the boat to get there, and then you know they'd have to go and look for this you know creature that they wanted to take down, and it may have been killed recently, so they would have to wait for like you know a day or two for it to respawn or something. Yeah. And you know, it, it just boggled my my mind that you know people would would do that, but you know that's where WoW kind of improved upon things, as far as I can tell. And I think but, Guild Wars has gone a little bit further and and looked at back at those other games and found what they could improve upon and new uh, and and make it better. The Guild Wars you guys both are saying is even more streamlined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I talked to someone today who had play, who who's played Guild Wars, who said they didn't like that part of it. And I tried to kind of probe him and try to figure out what kind of gamer type he mm-hmm. was. And I asked him if I said, "Well, are you are you wanting just to get the achievements in the game, or are you wanting a a, a richer story?" And he said, "Well, I'm definitely wanting story." 
And I felt like that Guild Wars was a uh, fetch and kill. Really? It it does have that aspect like all all the games do, but one of the things that they do differently as far as the the fetch and kill motif is is that um, rather than you know finding a person to give you a quest, you get the quest from them and you go and you either kill this or you fetch that. You know you do it like nine times or ten times or whatever, and then you come back to them and then they give you another quest where you do some more of that kind of stuff. What Guild Wars does is when you come into an area, there's a quest giver um, noted by a heart on your map. And when you go and talk to them, you, do, you actually, yeah. you well, that, that was what I was going to say. That's one of the best parts about it is you just walk into a region where there's a quest and it shows up on your screen and it pops up. And then you have a bar that shows you how long it takes to you completing that that quest and then you don't even have to go back to the quest giver to get your reward you just get it emailed and system to you so you just click on your mail icon and you have your reward there for you but that was what i liked about well, it because it wasn't running back and forth to the same person who then tells you to run to another area to kill another you know of these and then come back and then they tell you to go here or talk to this guy who needs help over here you know yeah and the other thing that they do too is, is it's not one thing that you have to do for yeah. this person there's like or this four or five area. different options yeah there's like four or five different things that you can do every time you find one of these guys. So you you may kill like two of these creatures that they want killed, but oh, you can also go over here and water my plants and uh, oh, the garbage, go play, sure. have, <laughs> have a snowball fight with the kids and keep them entertained. There's actually a quest where you can have a snowball fight with, with some kids in an area. Yeah. So. Well, if we... I don't even know if we can talk about the game that made number eight, Far Cry 3. Because I know Regina's still boycotting Far Cry 3. <laughs> well, Mark's played it, so he, he can talk a little bit about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm actually trying to hear someone who's played it because I couldn't find anybody at work today who had played anything but Far Cry 1 and Far Cry 2. I actually just got this game last week. and Well, it's only been I've out for probably... three weeks. Two or three weeks. Yeah, it yeah, just came out. Right. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't realize it'd been out that. Yeah. Short a time. Um, but uh, I actually really enjoy it. Um, the story is pretty much a, you know, justice slash revenge kind of story. But it's a really fun um, first person shooter slash RPG. It's got the elements of you know a, a talent tree where you can. Um, gain skills in it as you go along. Um, it's got really cool um, attacks and moves in it that are very reminiscent of um, you know all the action movies you've ever seen. Um, and up until actually just about an hour ago, I was really loving the story, but <laughs> spoiler alert, um, <laughs> there's one of the antagonists that you deal with the whole time you're there. The guy with the um, mohawk. Yep, and when you finally... Uh, get to fight him or or kill him you basically walk into a room he stabs you in the chest and then uh the developers thought it'd be a good idea to yet again milk the uh the uh going into a dream sequence or altered state um trope and in there you kind of have this weird fight out with him and then next thing you know you wake up and oh Voss is dead and I was, I was, this guy has been the bane of my existence since I got on this island. He has literally shot me, pistol whipped me, <laughs> tied me to a cinder block and thrown me into a pool of water. Um, and a, a, a laundry list of several other things. And when I finally get to 
deal with this guy and take him out. You don't it's, even get the swing. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you you do, but it's not it's not real. It's as far as you can tell, it's in a dream or you're having a psychotic break or something. I don't know, but um, up until that point, I was really enjoying it. And then I mentioned that to another friend of mine shortly before jumping on here with you guys this evening, and and he said I had the exact same feeling. But he said, but you know, don't let it bother you too much because the game is goes back to being really fun and stuff after that. So <laughs> so don't let it be a deal breaker. <laughs> the article mentioned that it was a really fun, expansive world, which what kind of surprised me because all I've seen of it is the, the trailer. And it just looks like, a, to me, it just looks like Grand Theft Auto on an island. Um, no, it's not that way at all. I mean, okay. at least not to me. I mean, it could be semantics, but... The way it comes across to me is, is you're trying to help the people on this island as well as get your revenge. Um, and as you go along, there are camps of um, pirates that you can um, clear out. And once you clear out, the pirates can't come back to that part of the island anymore. So basically, you're helping the indigenous people on the island get rid of these pirates that have been, you know, killing, raping, and pillaging, um, you know, this culture for. You know, I don't know how long they don't really say, but and it does have that. It does have a really big open world sandbox feel to it. In the Wired article, he mentions that uh, um, it's been described as Skyrim mm-hmm. with guns, which yeah. it's really funny because two nights before that, I had mentioned that to my friend who told me to purchase it. I said, you know, it actually really reminds me of, of Skyrim, but you know, in a modern motif. So um, it, it really does have a very big kind of um, open world that you can run around. The the questing is the story quest is very linear, um, but there's lots of stuff to do in the world, um, and the the scenery is gorgeous. Well, I know you haven't played it very much, but you you know uh, why Regina <laughs> is boycotting the game. Yes, I do. So for for as much as you've played it, though, can can we chalk that up to just really, really bad marketing at E3? Or is this something that is actually you see every now and then in the game? I think it was a bad marketing decision on their part, um, as, at least as far as uh, if they didn't want to offend and... and alienate. Alienate yeah. <laughs> um, women. But um, that is, it really doesn't come into play. I literally only got to the scene that they showed in that in that marketing sequence that pissed Regina off so so badly um, just maybe two hours ago. And that's literally after playing the, the story uh, mode of the game for probably 25 hours, 28 hours. So, and there was nothing prior to that. And so far there hasn't been anything after that. So I, it, it's just one portion of a story like you would see in a movie yeah, you know i i guess i still I, i'm i'm glad to hear that you know that it's not um and, and I, but i never as i as i said in the show and as i i say i've mentioned before as we've talked about it i, I don't object to sex in games per se <laughs> i just objected to how they um sensationalized it at e3 so but they're yeah. on kind of sensational marketing tactics has been Far Cry 3's thing because I don't think I shared this yeah. before but at PAX this this past year at PAX Prime they actually were giving away copies of the game to anyone who would get a mohawk <laughs> and they had a barber yeah. and a video camera set up and a line of a hundred people who were waiting in line to get their hair mohawked so they could get a free game so any women 
Not that I saw. <laughs> oh. It's as far as I can tell, I mean don't hate me for you know, don't call me a sexist here, but I, I wouldn't see many women wanting to play this game necessarily. Um the story is riveting. Um my um fiance came in this evening after she got off work and was watching me play a section of it and I didn't even hear her come in and I turned around and looked and her eyes were big and her mouth was kinda of hanging open and she was just like you know, watching this this story unfold, and she was really impressed with it. So, I mean, if you really like the story, um, I think women would get into it. But otherwise, there's just a lot of violence. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't think it'd necessarily be something that, that was most the women other thing about watching the trailer from E3 that I was like, wow, because there's tigers and you shoot the tigers and there's bows and arrows and all kinds of crazy stuff, and I was just like, wow, this is someplace I'm not real sure I want to go. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, the level of violence, I mean, compared to what? I mean, is it the most violent game you've ever played? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, is it more violent than Left 4 Dead or Dead Nation uh, or Walking Dead or? Well, Left 4 Dead is different. You're dealing with zombies, basically dehumanized people. You know, they're no longer a person. So that's, you know, when you're playing a game like that, they're just an obstacle to chop or shoot your way through. Um, in this what about one, the military games. Um, uh, again, I, 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 I find that those are pretty violent. Um, I would put this up there with any of those games, not okay. to say that I'm against violent games right. at all. I mean, it's a game, you know, and <laughs> I, I've been thinking about it a lot in the last, I don't know, year or so, but I've, I've come to the realization that, that's kind of what our species is about is conflict um, and to try and put violence away um, doesn't really, I, I don't want to say pay tribute to our culture or where we come from. But I mean, if you watch any movie or read any book, even if it's not necessarily violent in nature, there's always conflict. Yeah. That's, yes. that's what well, that, yeah. That's what our culture yeah, that's, is. Yeah. Uh... And that's part of storytelling as well. You can't you can't really have a story that doesn't have some sort of inherent conflict in it, even if half the time you're watching characters who are making their own conflict out of, you know, basically stupid choices they're making. <laughs> so, Regina, what do you think about his statement that he doesn't think that women would like the game because of its level of violence? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've always that was part of what motivated me to do the research in the first place was trying to sort of come to understand people women women wanting to play violent games and i'm trying to think just off the top of my head if i've seen anybody on my twitter feed or on facebook who's talking about playing this game who's a female gamer and i don't know if i have um coincidentally enough uh, felicia day actually posted on her facebook page yesterday asking people if she should play it (laughs) and uh, I look through the comments which were like 800 or something so I didn't you know go through them with a fine-tooth comb or anything Um, but the general idea and the general comments that she had gotten were mostly from male gamers who said yeah it's really fun yeah it's really fun and a couple people who had said like Mark had said that same analogy of its Skyrim with um, guns um, and she loves Skyrim, so they thought that that would be a good match for her. But she's not a big first-person shooter f- fan at all. So 
Um, she was kind of that was one of the reasons why um, she was on the fence about it. So let, let me. I I think I just kind of figured out something that you were asking me, Rhonda, that I wasn't catching before. You're asking me if the game is more violent than, say, playing Call of Duty or yeah. or Medal of Honor or something like that. It is in one respect, and I think this is why I look at the game and I say it's pretty violent. Is it's not because I'm killing pirates or anything like that. They're the bad guys and. They're, they do horrible things, and that's why you know they deserve what they get. But it's the things that you see them do, because you it doesn't happen off screen all the time. Okay. You actually see them doing things like, um, you know, when I mentioned that they kicked my character into um, a pool of water tied to a cinder block. Well, they did that to a villager right next to me right before it happened to me. And you okay. watch it happen. And, yeah. Right, exactly. And, and they don't, like... St- stay on it you know it's not like put in your face but it's happening you know just close enough on screen or in the background that you know what's happening yeah and, so you still get the um, reaction that you would have from it from watching it yeah right I, that was right, the, exactly. the thing that i observed from from the videos and i haven't watched any any gameplay videos other than the e3 because like i said i'm still boycotting it um although i have to say that it just cracks me up that one of the the hottest search terms to find the Game on Girl website in the last month has been Far Cry 3 porn. And I'm sorry that you're finding a feminist site that's talking about how awful all that is. <laughs> are you? Are you really? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, I think they deserve it. If they really expect to uh, see any porn from Far Cry, they're, <laughs> they're troubled. Because it's, like I said, a pretty violent game. And other than that scene that I saw with uh, Citra that you know was used in their yeah. marketing, there there really isn't much in the way of relationships or yeah. sex or you know anything else like that. So <laughs> all I can think of is they're interested in uh, um, apparently third world pirates uh, getting it on. <laughs> That could be, um, but but I think that one of the reasons why it my my assessment of looking at it is is that it's going to be a more violent game. I think because it's on an island, because you're dealing with sort of native populations, and that makes me think it's going to be more viscerally viscerally violent, like like different than like Grand Theft Auto, where you're running around an environment that's familiar. In some way, when you're running yeah, around an yeah. island and there are pirates and there's these kinds of groups of people that are, are associated with certain types of violence. That's part of what makes me yeah. sort of go, mm, well, maybe it's not something that quite so many female gamers would be interested in. But if you're listening and you're a female gamer and you're loving Far Cry 3, please talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, I'd definitely yeah. like to get a, a woman's take on it. A female gamer who's played Far Cry 3. Well, number seven is Fez. And if anybody has seen the indie game movie, then they know what Fez is. Have either of you guys played it? No, I haven't. I was looking at the picture in the article, and it's kind of vaguely reminiscent of Terraria as far as the uh, graphics go. Did you watch a demo video or anything of it? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Well, that's... um, that's kind of what makes the difference. And uh, the movie, by the way, is really, really good. I highly recommend it. But like I said earlier, in the, I don't like 8-bit games, and they've been popular. And that's what this thing is. It's, a, it's an 8-bit game. But this guy has put a twist on it in a way that we've been talking about along. You know, look at a game and make mm-hmm. it better. 
um, he's put a twist on this game that I think makes it so incredibly unique and challenging that I pro- I might not play it all the way through, but I would be very interested in seeing it. I mean, it's just a, a it's a, just a very smart looking game. Is Fez? I'm looking at or I'm looking at the article right now. Is the is this the one where the orientation of the screen changes? Yes. Yeah, that yes. was the thing that was really interesting to me. The game's main thrust is it allows you to rotate the game world 90 degrees at a time. And I was yeah. really fascinated with um, or really interested in checking it out just for that reason alone, because I love when sort of new mechanics are brought in. Different sort of ways mm-hmm. of playing, I think, are really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just playing on that whole single dimension 8-bit game screen where then all of a sudden you can actually move and see the four sides of a building. Now, you can only see them one Mm -hmm. at a time, but it's sort of like this surprise that, well, you can actually play in 3D Right. Two yeah. yeah. <laughs> like rotate sort of, the it's sort of marrying it's two different really two different cool. game styles together, and that's that's cool. Yeah, and I can't imagine how how much more complicated that made the game mechanics for. Yeah, just just that idea made my head hurt. So <laughs> I probably won't be yeah. checking it out anytime <laughs> soon. But <laughs> well, the next one uh, also recent just recently came out. Has anybody played uh, XCOM? XCOM in an enemy and. Un- yeah. See, I was doing tongue twisters before you the show started, and I was doing <laughs> XCOM Enemy Unknown. Uh, I have actually played that. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, I was a big fan of um, that franchise um, back in the, I believe it was mid-90s. Um, I really enjoyed uh, um, playing it, and for the longest time, I've... I was jonesing for them to, uh, for somebody to do the series again um, as it was originally done, but you know, with updated graphics and you know some different ideas or something like that put into it. And uh, they went and did it, and it is great. If you liked the the game, the franchise previously, at least the first two iterations where it was turn based, um, it it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at, and it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's got a really intriguing uh, game style, and I think for both role players and mastery players, I think it's a game that they would really enjoy. Mastery, obviously, for mastering the strategy and 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 increasing, you know, your squad's skills and all all the details that go along with that. But I think for role players, the fact that you are creating and managing all these different um, characters and different um, classes, I think that they could have a lot of fun, like making up backstories to support the main narrative that goes on in the game itself. Now, Mark, the XCOM has got uh, permadeath, right? Um, well, in so much that if one of your your squad members dies, yeah, they are dead. <laughs> um. And that can be mitigated depending on how you're playing the game. Um, if you're playing it, I, I don't recall exactly how the, the modes are, but um, there's a mode that doesn't allow you to basically go back and reload the, the mission over and over again to make sure that you get your guys all out alive. Um, so there's that mode, too, where basically it makes it even harder for you to um, keep your squad members alive. Um, 
and unless you really are watching what you're doing. So yeah, there is a, a definitely a permadeath aspect to it. Do you play it that way? Um, I don't myself. Um, I I play it more for the enjoyment. I'm I don't know. I'm I'm. I, I mentioned once before that I'm a, a lazy mastery player <laughs> to a degree. Um, uh, more and more, I find that I'm interested in the story um, behind the game, um, and so I'm I'm more interested in, in seeing how things play out, and not so much doing things the hard way. Well, we're halfway through our list. As we mentioned earlier, Borderlands 2 made number five on Wired's list of the top 10 indie games of 2012. The article can be found online on Wired's website in their gaming section. You're listening to Game on Girl. I'm Rhonda Oglesby, and we have Mark with uh, uh, Regina and I talking about the 10 games on the list. And the next one that's up, I had never heard of. Uh, is Spelunky. Spelunky. Just the name makes me want to play it. Well, the one thing I did notice about it that I thought was very, very interesting, when I went to the trailer site, um, I thought the graphics were really, really cute, and then I started playing the demo. And I'm like, well, crap. It's an 8-bit side-scrolling game. That's kind of pushing on you right now, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But that was the game in 2008. And the one that has made the list is the updated version uh, in, I think, 2010 or 2012. And to me, the, the things that they updated were so smart and so cute because it's still a side-scrolling game. Mm-hmm. But they got rid of the 8-bit graphics. Now, yeah. no. ha- has anybody played it here? No, I haven't. Um, looking at the picture again, it, it re- kind of reminded me of uh, Terraria, which I'm a huge <laughs> fan of. If people haven't picked that up yet, so I'm kind of looking at it now, thinking I I might yeah. like to try it if I can find it on Steam or something. Well, one of the other things that I thought was cool, at least when I was watching the video, is the soundtrack. the The soundtrack to me was at first I said, I hate that arcade machine mm-hmm. eight bit sounding uh, effects that, but they've, they've you, they're using that. And I don't know how to say this. They're using that, but they kind of modernized it. And the only, uh, only thing that I can compare it to is um, remember uh, uh, Rod, uh, Roger Rabbit, the movie uh-huh. where they had real life people and then they had to, had the cartoons well that's kind of the way this soundtrack sounded you've got those 8-bit sounds but then you've got like real live sounds <laughs> like a bicycle bell that's <laughs> not digitized at all and like a trumpet and i was like that is so smart they've seamlessly kind of go in there together and i don't i don't notice sounds very much in games i'm not a very auditory person i notice the visuals but that just really caught my eye and it was very enjoyable yeah good sound is can really (laughs) good sound design can really really stand out in the game and and make it that much better yeah it's very hard at least for me to make it noticeable it's very it's very easy for a game to Mm, make it annoying it doesn't take long sometimes yeah it's a very pretty game if anything i mean for a side-scrolling game for me to say that, you ought to go out and look at the demo and just yeah, listen to the soundtrack. I think I will after we're done. <laughs> but number three uh, came Dishonored. Yeah, that's another one I don't I don't think... I haven't played. I've, I've read a lot about it, and I've read a lot of people playing it and enjoying it. So, Mark? I, I, I myself have not played it either. So, 
I, I don't have much to say about it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, one guy today who played it, and he, I don't know, he said, had some interesting comments about it. He said, well, you know how the graphics are, like, really stylized? And I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, kind of, I guess. And he goes, well, I think they're over-stylized. He said, the graphics really kind of annoyed me. And, I mean, normally, I wouldn't quite understand what he was talking about, but this is a guy who used to um, produce and QA games for a living. That that was part of his his living. So... I thought it was very interesting. He had a couple of complaints about the uh, game mechanics, but again, it sounded like somebody trying to come up with something that they didn't like about Borderlands 2. <laughs> Where they're the, just kind uh, of searching for it. Yeah, well, yeah it, it, it apparently meant a lot to him. Apparently there are two modes, uh, two stealthy modes you can kill in. You can do a, a, a stealth kill or you can do a takedown. And I guess that's kind of like when you sneak up behind somebody and you kind of, you know, muffle them and take them down or there's a stealth kill. He goes mechanically in the game, you get, he said, there's no difference. Mm -hmm. But as far as credits go, the stealth kill gets more points. He goes, it just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Interesting. Well, I guess, you know, they're trying to make people do that more. So anyway, it just, it it looks like a really good game and I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in his sort of assessment of it as, too stylized and I just looked up a bunch of screenshots and um, it's very smooth and I and I wonder sometimes if when we get a little too smooth in the graphics generators if they if they tend to have that sort of mm, almost fake look to them because like nothing's really ever that <laughs> I think that's what make the graphics in Borderlands 2 Worse. Yeah, I, I love the graphics in Borderlands 2 it's one of one of the most compelling like I said in our original uh assessment of it it's like stepping into a graphic novel and um and i think that that's just you know totally powerful way of, of sort of communicating it and one of the reasons why i liked it sometimes game you want your game to look more like a game rather than sort of a highly polished computer rendering well the game at number two is you describe it entirely differently you wouldn't say it's polished mm-hmm. And you wouldn't say it looks like a typical no, game. No, it's not a typical game. Even the it's called Journey, and it's it's been yes. a, a a big sort of buzz about it because it is such a difficult, different play style. Yeah, I haven't played it. Mark, have you played Journey? No, I haven't. Unfortunately, it looks like it's uh, for PlayStation. Yeah, 3 it's only for PlayStation Three. So, Ron, it's going to have to be your <laughs> assignment for us. Well. <laughs> Actually, I actually watched John playing it last night. I think he was on demo, and I was able to listen to the sound effects and watch the character move around and everything, and it definitely was extremely intriguing. Um, I believe we've talked about it once before, about where it's a huge trend to create a game where the user goes into the game and you give them absolutely no instructions and you don't tell yeah, them what yeah. to do. Yeah, you need to sort of drop them on their own. Basically, at least as far as the missions are concerned and what you're supposed to do, you get no information. I mean, you can see your scenery, you pretty much have freedom to move around, and when the time comes, visual instructions, not audible, but visual instructions show up on the screen and tell you how you can interact with where you're at um the game is extremely beautiful and the movements you just want to participate in them as you're watching the way the character moves around in the scenery and uh moves around in this environment 
you kind of just want to get hold of the controller and make it do those things. It's just a, a wonderful type of experience of them walking and floating and flying and spinning in the air. I believe one of the comments someone said was, if there's an argument for games being art, mm-hmm. this would be it. Yeah. Yeah, the screenshot definitely looks very yeah. pretty. And if you if you do a quick search, you can look at a bunch of the different landscapes and the different colors and just it's just absolutely gorgeous game. Um and I love the mechanic and I as it was reading and it said that, you know, you're sort of wandering in the world and you don't have any way to talk to the other people who are playing. But it's a it's a multiplayer game. So when you're playing, there's other people out there playing. That's even more Yeah, you can't talk to them, but you can sort of communicate and you can make friends and allies to kind of help you out but you have no direct way of communicating with each other or you can just pass each other by and not and not help each other out at all and i'm fascinated by that idea just the idea of going into a a massive um, a multiplayer game and and how you would negotiate communicating i remember once early in my world of warcraft days because the the two different factions in world of warcraft speak different languages so you can't text and talk to each other Unless, you know, unless you, you know, you know the person. But I remember a high level horde character running through a low level uh, alliance area ran right past me. And I was like, oh, my God, in one shot, this guy could take me out. And he typed wink. And so he winked at me. And I was like, oh, well, he's not going to hurt me. (laughs) And he just rode past me. So, you know, I'd say I'm kind of interested in how you would learn how to communicate Mm -hmm. in a game that sets you up to not be able to communicate with each other, but potentially help each other out. I had a similar experience, Regina, and wow. Um, I don't remember where I was, but I ran into an undead hordy um, doing something. And I think I was trying to get at, um, you know, a mat that I could farm or something like that, but there was like a, a critter mm-hmm. in the way, and he he kind of walked up to me and he pointed at, he pointed at me, then he pointed at um, the the creature, and then I don't remember how he did it, but he indicated himself and going after the creature, and so um, we both went after that creature and took it out, and then he let me have the collectible the yeah. node that I was. Yeah, trying to get to, and then he um, skinned the animal, and you know we went our separate ways. But it was, it was really cool to me that moment where you know we were communicating basically through the in-game uh, right, emotion, right? Uh, the emotes. emotes instead of actually talking or having you know conversation about it. So, so I would be curious yeah. to see how you would do that in Journey. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, that would that would yeah. be interesting. That that's all very mm-hmm. intriguing to me. Is that because you? We've always talked about how games create a level playing mm-hmm. field. And if you take away some of that language and you have to have a language in game, that's another way yeah. of, of making people be more creative. Exactly. And also, you know, yeah, it also goes back to the same idea that we have about gamers being problem solvers or gaming be a, being a way to learn how yeah. to solve problems. That's definitely this. This would definitely play into that as well. Well, I was really kind of surprised by number one. Yeah, I was, too. <laughs> The uh, Walking Dead series, essentially, is the the best game, uh, uh, according to Wired, for the year. Best indie game. Is it best best indie indie game? game. It says indie passion. Oh, so these are just the indie games? Yeah. They had another list of uh, a triple A list. I thought they were just eschewing the triple A's. I was kind of of excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think think they were. (laughs) And that's what kind of surprised me. Uh, Interesting. Does anybody have any experience with the Walking Dead? 
Well, I was just going to say the the title of the um, article that we're all referencing is Indie Passion Fuels the 10 Best Games yeah, of 2012. Yeah. So I would assume that means that these, in their opinion, are the best. Um, I have actually played The Walking Dead. Um, I didn't play it very long. And it's really funny because I really love the, the, the TV series. And my fiance and I are very much into zombie movies and zombie books and such. And I really wanted to love this game and play it. And um, a friend bought it for me as a gift, and I tried to play it. And it was, I don't know, I, I was enjoying the story, but I just felt like the controls weren't there. I didn't feel like I was given enough information on what to do in some places. And it was very frustrating to me. Um, I may go back and try it again sometime i know that you know lots of people really like it but you know for me being a gamer for as long as i've been it's when a game and i don't get off on the right foot pretty quickly then i can tell it's not for me so but i mean the the graphics were really nice um the storytelling as far as i got into it was really good um you know, it was very riveting, just like the the TV show is. I just could not make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Regina, do you have any? I haven't. With it? I haven't played it. I watched uh, several demos of it. I I think one of the reasons why I'm very intrigued by it is it's got an interesting uh, release schedule. <laughs> I guess would be the way to say it that they released it in episodes, just like you would the show. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's a fascinating. Uh, attempt at linking the game to the show in in because I remember seeing it the first time people were talking about it on my Twitter feed and I was like why are people talking about Walking Dead episodes like it's a game <laughs> I just kept having these moments like what are they talking about and then I finally figured out you know went on Steam and I'm like oh here it is for sale oh I see there's episodes they've you know they've mirrored the game experience to the TV experience and then if you take it a step further you know, the Walking Dead was a graphic novel before it was a TV show so I think yeah. you know I don't have experience with playing it but I'm really intrigued at the at a story and at a time where a zombie apocalypse story could be so popular in so many formats. And I'm really curious mm, about yeah. what, because I've been curious for a while about why zombies have been so, you know, popular over the, like the last 10 years, this sort of emergence of people being concerned, not concerned, but, you know, zombies being kind of trendy, um, and I'm kind of glad that they've seemed to have taken over from sparkly vampires, which, you know, we've all had enough of. Um, but it, it, I find it really intriguing, that idea that this, that that theme can be carried so completely through so many different formats. I, do you think that part of it is, I mean, we've talked, I think, before about how geek yeah. is cool. Are all the geek mediums just kind of bubbling to the top? Yes, I think so. I, th- I think there's there's certainly a far more respect for a lot of the mediums that tend to be more um, ridiculed, like graphic novels or comic books. You know, I mean, everybody's loves superheroes, but people won't admit often to liking comic books. Like I, I, I said to my yeah. students um, last fall when I was teaching a, you know, freshman a first year composition class that was primarily high school students 
the Avengers trailer had come out that morning and I was so excited and I'm like and I went into class and I'm like oh my god have you guys watched the Avengers trailers and they're looking at me like I'm crazy and I was like well you gotta love superheroes right I mean come on I mean the I mean there's so there's been so many movies over the last five years as they're like you know at the age where you're going to movies and hanging out with your friends in the mall I'm like you've got to have seen you know, superhero movies. And they're like, well, we kind of like the movies, but you know, not like comic books or anything like that. <laughs> I was huh. like, oh God, that's right. This is the, I can't be cool if I admit that I like comic books age. <laughs> and apparently that's still around because that was just last year. So it hasn't yeah. been that long for, for, you know, for that. But I, I think it's changing it sort of in slow degrees and is being accepted more. But um, there's still yeah. a lot, I think, of the mass populace who may know what, what World of Warcraft is, but aren't necessarily going to go open an account and download the game and jump in and play. Or go check out the, be as, you know, intrigued as I am by the fact that there's a graphic novel and a TV show and a game that makes me want to go check out all three just because, well, if it's the success over this many medium what does that mean what does that say about the story and the way the story is being written so yeah well you know it probably wasn't maybe five seven years ago that if you ran across a franchise type game uh, Harry Potter or Superman or whatever the hit movie was mm -hmm. at the time that the game was oh yeah well, that's still that's still true I, god i got that board game for yeah. big bang theory and I, oh my oh, god Lord. it's awful i mean I, I really wanted it to be good we played it three times and i'm like what did you write about the same five episodes and we you know shuffled cards three times and the questions were you know full of typos i was like oh, okay come on <laughs> yeah typically uh franchise you know, movie franchises and stuff like that that get turned into into games are usually yeah. Bad. So so that makes it even more intriguing that it won Game of the Year. That I mean, because it's not just here in um in Wired that it won Game of the Year. It won was it IGN? I think it won Game of the Year there as well. So it's been recognized oh, wow. in several places as you know as a great game and as the as the uh, author notes in the Walking Dead on the the Wired article. Chris Kohler says. Um, you know, it's a it's a point and click, so it's it's reminiscent of some of us who played like King's Quest and some of those games back then. It's mm. that genre, and so that it's not it's not a shoot not necessarily a shooter genre, the way that you know, uh, Borderlands is or or some of the other games that we've seen that have been on this list. So so that makes it even more intriguing. Okay, so here it is pushing bringing up a a type of game that was more popular earlier in our game history that it was written with a story that pulled at your heartstrings and that engaged you emotionally and was also you know built off you know already established stories so well see i think that's one of the reasons why it's successful because my understanding is from looking at the demos and from what i've heard is that the game has an entirely different storyline it no. starts you um as a person who is on his way to um, prison and um, you're seeing basically it, it almost serves as a prequel to the TV show from what mm -hmm. I could tell because you're leaving Atlanta heading towards a prison somewhere and um, in the process you end up going off the road and getting into an accident and then you know running into zombies and such and so it, it 
it definitely has that. Yeah, different characters and and the, now as far as the graphic novels are concerned, I've read all of those and they the show, the TV show is based right. off of the novels, but there is a lot you can do in a graphic novel that you cannot <laughs> do on television. Uh, yeah. And we've had multiple debates about that, about it, has that in, uh, been a detriment to the show on television that some of these aspects are not there or, oh, I wonder if they're going to do such and such on the show. And I tend to think that there is enough that can go on in a post plague global plague environment that you don't have to copy everything that's in the graphic novel to make it work especially since you know the the thing that makes walking dead so compelling are your attachments to the characters (laughs) or your disattachments to them or the relationships they're having so they can always go in different directions because that's what you end up talking about is i would have never done that he shouldn't have done that he should have done this that kind of thing that's really interesting well and robert kirkman has actually said um flat out that it's not about the zombies no. it's yeah. really just a really good drama that happens to be set against yeah. you know a post apocalyptic yeah. zombie well it's outbreak. it's what um hitchcock said you know every story has a macguffin which is what the story is about but that's not really what the story is about <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's the thing <laughs> that everybody says the story is about but it's not and you know I, I remember when somebody first told me, it might have been you, Mark, I don't remember who it was who first told me, there's a show on about zombies. Actually, I think it was another friend of mine. There's a show on about zombies, and it's really great. And I'm like, zombies? It's about zombies? And being as naive as I am and and literal, <laughs> I, thought they, I thought they meant that the main characters were zombies. <laughs> <laughs> So I was thinking that it was like Joe Zombie and Jane Zombie and, you know, told from like their point of view, which might be a fascinating story to tell. But but that wasn't what it was, you know. But, oh, there's a story about zombies. Then I watched the first season. I was like, oh, it's not about the zombies. It's never about the zombies. It's about, you know, how the people are interacting in these relationships and what people are doing with each other and to each other and to other people. And <laughs> Although there is a movie coming out in February that is about the zombie. Yeah, I was about to really? say the same thing. I, I was trying to look up the title. Yeah, I couldn't remember it either. Um, we're really excited to go see it. Interesting, interesting. Well, I oh, I will definitely be checking that out because I was like, oh, fascinating. I want to hear about what's going on in the mind of a zombie. You know, because it's like that Jonathan Colton song regarding your brains. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, are there are there any that I well, I actually I want to go back and kind of just take a a global goal, uh, kind of a global look at the list. We talked about how The Walking Dead went back to basic game mm-hmm. mechanics. There are three games on the list that are based off of or are literally 8-bit right. graphics, side-scrolling, mm-hmm. not three-dimensional. And if you look at it, there is really only one game that is what I would call pure fantasy, where we're talking about elves right. and or all two. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the others are are either built on um, modern worlds or alien mm-hmm. worlds, which I think is is pretty interesting. Um, let's see, how many first-person shooters do we have? Almost all of them. Journey's not... No, I think really there's only um, Far Cry and Borderlands and Dishonored. And, Dishonored are really are, and maybe a little, a bit, little of, bit of yeah, The Walking yeah. Dead. 
So less than half of them really are first-person shooter games. So can we conclude any trends from looking at any of these games? Um, Yeah. Um, The trend I'm seeing is is that uh, um, if you want a good game to play nowadays, you need to go look for indie companies and issue the uh, AAA um, companies because they're putting out... uh, warm crap really yeah that's been something that that we've sort of come back to time and time again as we've as we've talked about games and different games i think the other thing that we can take away from this is that gamers want variety and and they want different game experiences and i think that that's what the triple a titles don't understand Uh, i think that too there's a tendency to rest on your laurels when you've had a successful game or a successful series of games to continue down that same path and to create that same game again clearly games like journey and fez and spelunky and the walking dead with its episode you know its episodic releases show that gamers want different types of experiences and are open to those different types of experiences and Thankfully, we do have indie companies that are willing to go forward and look. And multiple platforms. And multiple platforms to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although, as someone who often ends up in a PC game that was originally on a console, please, please tweak your controls. (laughs) Because if I were to have one complaint about uh, Borderlands, it would be the menu system drives me nuts. So, yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling they'll probably fix that. Yeah. My, my, my guess would be the same with that too. Do you guys have any recommendations that weren't on the list that, that you wanted to make sure got shout outs for great games from this year? Um, I think I would give a shout out to Torchlight 2 for, um, doing (laughs) what Diablo should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a very beautiful game. That's why I love the details of Torchlight. It's just got some beautiful yeah. scenery and great effects that the characters um, and the character actions and things that are really spectacular. Rhonda, did you have anything? Well, see, I don't know. I mean, did did Civ 5 come out this year? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's been out it's been since 2002. <laughs> See, that's what tends to happen. It, that's the reason why I've only played one of the games on this list is I'm one of those players that only gets one or two games, but I, I play them immersively. I mean, I am completely and all 100% in it until I completely wring it out of whatever it's got. And so I'm usually two or three years behind. I do think that the um, the expansion, though, the SIP expansion came out this year right the yeah. kings and kings and something or other yeah i haven't got gods and kings <laughs> came out this year. i think so. so you can vote for it for that so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i i would think uh, borderlands is a game i pre-ordered uh diablo 3 was a game i pre-ordered um outside of that i mean i picked up deus ex which i haven't played yet and uh diablo 3 sucked and uh, Borderlands to me just is the best unifier. So I, I wouldn't have anything. I thought Borderlands 2, when they were doing the IGA awards, I thought Borderlands 2 was going to be the winner because for many of those same reasons, because it was the best balance, uh, the art, the story, and yeah. um, most of the gameplay were, were you know, flawless. So so I thought that, that it was going to go, which makes me just that much more intrigued by uh, trying out The Walking Dead. So Yeah. So of this list of 10, what would be um, your first choice for, I'm going to try that one, Mark? Um, probably, I think it's kind of a toss-up, actually. It's um, 
a toss-up between either Spelunky um, or uh, Journey, although I don't have a PlayStation 3, so I'll have to get my fix on that uh, through somebody else. <laughs> what about you, Regina? I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if there's a demo off for the Xbox of Spelunky. I almost did that today, but I didn't have time. Um, and the other one that I'm really, like I said, really interested in is trying out The Walking Dead now. Especially now that I know it's a point and click. I just assumed it was a shooter, which is bad on my part. Yeah. Bad Regina. Yeah, I think I think I would go with um XCOM and The Walking Dead. I think you'd like XCOM. Because I know you you if you're loving Civ, I think the strategy games, I think it I think you would probably enjoy it. I Ooh. think she would too. Um it it basically you have uh the the resource management aspect of the game. Um and then when you send your your squaddies out on missions um you have basically a turn-based tactical um game so it kind of has that same aspect of when you're moving around your units in in uh mm-hmm. um Civ 5. yep definitely well mark thanks for joining us again well thanks for having me again well, yeah, appreciate your input and uh, the hours you put into <laughs> research. Yes, painstaking. Well, was fun. Painstaking research. <laughs> well, we also want to hear from our listeners and all the research that they did last year in their uh, gaming consoles or PCs or handhelds. Uh, what do you think about the independent list? Are there some games missing? Are there ones on the list that you disagree with? And if you've got a good argument about against or for whatever we said today, we'd love to hear it. You can check us out at GameOnGirl.com. I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at RoRoom. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. You can also read my tech blog at JewelOnTheFrog.com. And you can email me at Rhonda gameongirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. And oh, actually, while we have Mark here on the show, Mark Mark has a new Twitter handle now. We've converted him to social media. <laughs> so what's your, uh, what's your Twitter? At Mars Uller. Please make sure to give a follow to Mars Uller. And thank you so much for joining us again, Mark. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and great conversation. We appreciate you for it, especially since you had played so many more of the games on the list than... <laughs> Yeah, you guys are going to need to get busy. You guys need to game a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, make sure to, to check out the website for some of, more of Mark's writing. He's actually going to write up um, a little piece about his favorite games um, of this year, of 2012, and then some that he's looking forward to in 2013. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there should be some great information out there for everybody. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. And these links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. Many thanks to Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media for editing the podcast for us. The theme song, Good Day, by Triple Fox, is used under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on! Thank you.